Hello, I'm Isabel, she, her, hers. And I'm David, he, him, his. And we're two therapists with ADHD who sit down to have some chats about ADHD. We can't promise we'll stay on topic or be professional or even remotely mature, but we can promise that you'll end up looking at you or your loved one's beautiful neurodivergent brain in a shiny new way. This is not a therapy session. This is something shiny. I love it. Do you like uh, it? That's amazing. And can this just be the intro? You saying that and me freaking out about how amazing it is? Yeah. Can that, and you that dropping can, your voice? That could be, can, that could be our that's first so intro. Good. <laughs> so without further ado, welcome to Something Shiny. I'm David. I <laughs> In this episode, David is going to be giving a presentation he gives to professionals and folks with ADHD all across the country. It's amazing. And he managed to give it to some of our neurodiverse and neurotypical friends and family, Christina, AJ, Gabe, and my husband, Bobby. Thank you so much for joining us, amazing friends and family. So for this episode, you're going to hear David talking about a PowerPoint presentation. Kind of hard to do over a podcast. So if you want to see some of these visuals he's talking about, go to our show notes to a link or go straight to our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. That's somethingshinypodcast.com. And you can check them all out for free. Now, without further ado, here is the brilliant David talking about all things ADHD. Welcome back to the third part of the All About ADHD lecture. Just so you know, this is a third part of the series. And if you're missing anything, it's probably because it's in episode one or two. Feel free to go back and listen to those at any time. But now, get ready for episode three. Here we are. The other thing that we don't talk about is how waiting for the last minute also protects and guards my self-esteem, right? Because if I fail, I can be like, wrote it all the night before. And if I win, I'm like, nailed it. Like if I get the A, I could be like, did it in 12 hours. And, and it's totally there to protect self-esteem. I, I feel like it also raises, like, as you said before, like, I'm staring at the screen. For pictures of this slide and other resources, check out our show notes and follow the link to our website, somethingshinypodcast.com. That's somethingshinypodcast, all one word, dot com. It's chock full of detailed show notes, definitions, links, and resources we're always updating. So check it out. Right, things that elicit dopamine. Dopamine. The best neurotransmitter. Well, I don't know if it's the best, but let's walk this back just a little bit. From the other series, what we've learned is dopamine is, has a lot to do with how we attend to things and how we pay attention. People with ADHD have a pint glass that receives dopamine, and neurotypical people have a thimble. And the difference between those is when the dopamine fills all the way up and hits the edge of that thimble, a neurotypical person feels full. Well, an ADHD individual, they can keep having dopamine and it won't fill up the entire pint glass. So let's talk about this for a second because this isn't a total deficiency. While we're getting dopamine, we're getting maybe more, or maybe these experiences are more awesome or more intense than a neurotypical person. And the donut might actually taste that much better in that moment. But it makes it harder not to have a second donut. And when you bite that sandwich and the whole back end of the sandwich falls out and you want to cry, that disappointment is maybe a little more intense than a neurotypical person's disappointment. But the extremes that we feel in that dopamine have a lot to do with this, what's labeled as a deficiency. But maybe, you know, the deficiency is best seen in all transitions, stopping the great thing. 
That's the hard part. Oh, dopamine, you tricky wicked. Right? Things that elicit dopamine, sex, risky behavior, drugs, winning, carbs. Yeah, carbs. carbs. Video games, television. The winning. Yep. Like the fact that you can pull in like the, the shot at the buzzer. Yes. Feels so good. You and, know? and if we think about like the risky behavior and the winning, I'm just going to like start talking about how, how everyone's late, right? Yep. Right. Because if you have 10 minutes to get somewhere and you're leaving with nine minutes to get there, you can, you can get there on time <laughs> and it's risky until you're late and then you lost. <laughs> so you could like almost win, like I beat the clock. But this is where it's so important to talk about dopamine and this is what really talks about the ADHD experience. The whole time the ADHD person is late, they're getting dopamine and feeling miserable. That's the part that neurotypical people really need to hear out of this, that while they're running late, there is no joy in that experience. Their, their brain is currently being reinforced for something their body is hating. So they're not like, the typical ADHD person will say, why the hell have I done this to, every day I do this to myself. Like they scream and they scream at themselves because they have the inability to integrate the previous memory and learned experience with the current situation, which makes it much harder to do. Not to mention, it's way cooler to like wait to the last minute to leave. And then you're like, cool, it's time to leave. But then because of the forebrain and the things you're forgetting, you're ready to leave, but you're forgetting your shoes, you haven't charged your phone, your briefcase isn't there, where's your jacket, and oh my God, I need my lunchbox. And then you have to get all those things. And then you have to walk to the car. And then you have to warm up your car. And then you have to drive. And that entire process is not accounted steps. for. Yeah, it's not accounted for. And like, it's going to take 10 minutes to get there. Even just, just to, even hearing you describe that list gave me a visceral yeah. anxiety response. Mm -hmm. Like the anxiety, or like or, or irritable. I got like, kind of like, ah. My partner will now ask me like, hey, if we're going on vacation, like it's nothing but a win. It's like, we're going like, hey, what time are we leaving today? I'm like, I don't know. It's feel good, like 9, 30, 10. And my partner will be like, sounds great. And then inevitably at 10 o'clock, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm just getting another shower. It'll be, my partner will be like, no, no, no. I was planning 10, 30. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm fully aware that my partner's asking me when I want to leave and fully aware that I'm not assessing that appropriately, <laughs> like at this point. And my partner knows it's not intentional. And I think like this is where like the more transparent we can be about ADHD needs, like the better it is for everyone. I feel like a lot of the symptoms of ADHD um, neurotypical people have, yes. like procrastination, a ton yes. of people like. So how short of a neurotest would you be able to say this person probably does have ADHD versus they just like sex. Right, right. And it's like, if we think about this, if we think about this, it's, just, it's like such a great question. If we think about this in the same way we would think about any other diagnosis or any kind of medical condition, right? Like everyone has anxiety, right? Or everyone gets sad. And what differentiates someone with depression from someone that's a typical normal person that's experiencing sadness? And in, in terms of ADHD, most, most people struggle with executive functioning. <laughs> like, I'm not even gonna say like only 80, like most people, it's very sophisticated skills. But in terms of how people learn from mistakes and how many mistakes they make, we start seeing ADHD. I like to say a person with ADHD makes more mistakes before breakfast than most people make all day. And so what we see is a lot of reactivity and shame to making mistakes when other people make them. I know that like it, it doesn't totally answer a really good question because we could have neuropsych testing, which can help differentiate a diagnosis, but it also can fail a diagnosis. Neuropsych testing doesn't do a great job differentiating. It can do, but it struggles at times differentiating anxiety, ADHD, and OCD. 
So sometimes people have ADHD, they get a neuropsych test, they come back and they go, I have anxiety and medication doesn't work for them their whole life. And they think they're just a mess. Real quick follow up. So yesterday we were supposed to bring coupons with us to the baby store. Coupons were on the credenza and I know I have to bring the coupons with me. Yeah. Gotta go upstairs, she forgot her backpack, her wallet's upstairs. <coughs> baby coupons are on the credenza. Okay, I run upstairs, I get the wallet, I come back downstairs, we go. Baby coupons are still on the credenza yes. and we've left. Indicative or what? What do you think? Well, I know the answer is yes. So. <laughs> no, it's totally normal. The difference, the difference here is it's around patterns, yeah. right? So a neurotypical person would be like, I'm looking for the coupon, found coupon, in pocket, move on. Yeah. Right? In ADHD person goes, looking for coupons, found coupons, good, move on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're skipping the putting in the pocket. Yes. It's, it's, very, it's very typical. So we're at the store and I'm going, why have I done this again? I, the, the intervention I use for that is uh, I, in, my, in a Yoda voice, I say, like, there is no later, only now. Yeah. To myself. But I say it in like, a, there is no later, only now. Like, I literally do it in a Yoda voice. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, and the piece that you're naming, AJ, that I can really relate to, which I do think is another, another way to think about or answer your question, Christina, perhaps, is I think a neurotypical person... Like let's, cause imagine it only is, it happens to you like once in a blue moon or maybe once when you're like super sleep deprived, it happens a lot. And you're like, man, I'm so forgetful this week. Yes. And you don't carry this internalized sense of like, like, I don't know how to put it, but I feel like when I talk to neurotypical friends about like running late or forgetting their wallet or like making a silly, like, you know, a silly error and burning the pasta it's, it's almost just like they don't even talk. It's not even a joke. It's not even, it's just kind of like, oh yeah, I did the thing, right? Whereas when I talk to people, myself included with ADHD, who that happens to, it's like oh my God, a I get shame it. spiral. Oh. Like your brain, my brain goes, when I forget the coupons, my brain doesn't go like, wow, you were kind of frazzled and so you forgot the coupons. My brain goes, you do this all the time because I do. Yes. It happens. It happens so frequently that if people knew they would think there was something horribly wrong with me, that's like how and, you No, think. no, and that's like, I think that's exactly what everyone, you're, you're raising your hand, do it. Yeah, no, because literally I was like, I had one job. I had one job. I said it to her, I had one job, because you had one job. Wait, did you not, did you not actually swear when you actually said this? Uh, well, we're trying not to curse because we have a baby couple, so. Okay. Oh, good happening. No, no, when you're, when you're sleep deprived, it's absolutely no cursing is going to happen. You're going to knock curse. Sure. Rooting for you. Sure. (laughs) With plenty of rest, still no cursing. Sure. Sure. Didn't get talked about. Didn't get this discussion yesterday. We're talking about the consequences of what ADHD looks like and what it feels like for a person to grow up with ADHD. The major consequences that people have are, well, social and scholastic or like school-wise. Individuals with ADHD are typically... If they qualify for LD services, which means if their ADHD is impacting their schooling, um, they are typically pushed and marginalized to the outsides of school systems. So people with ADHD typically end up hanging out with everyone else that's on a fringe, that doesn't succeed in school, that's just barely getting by, that's in lower level classes. And typically what people do to accommodate ADHD is they use academic accommodations for lower uh, IQ individuals. So they'll make things easier, they'll give you easier material. The dilemma that we have is most people with ADHD have an above average IQ. They are understimulated in school often with boring material. So school becomes not just 
boring but isolating, like marginalizing, marginalizing, like all the things that make it not fun and not dopamine happy. Can I can I like make this bombastic and like really intense? How many people in this room have ADHD? Uh, well, I was maybe okay. I just how many people? <laughs> maybe I had ADHD. Okay, you grew out of it. You're just saying that that's basically ADHD. Yeah, that w- that was what the diagnosis would have been at the time you yeah. were diagnosed. You Nowadays, are, yeah, a new manual. You probably have combined or inattentive ADHD. Pretty much. Yeah. You're it's welcome. just called by a different name. Yeah. How many people loved school? The idea of school See, or school? Is, yeah. School. This is the weird part. This yeah. is like because I do love school. Uh huh. No, no, and, and and most individuals with ADHD. This is where I'm going to say that. Can I? Can I? Just totally put you out for a second. Yeah. Did you receive any accommodations or uh, academic aid because of your ADHD? No. No one knew I had a. I didn't. I didn't know I had ADHD. And you liked school. Oh well, the other factor that I I do want to mention is I did have a. I what I believe looking back now, I did have accommodations. What happened is I tested into the gifted program. Yes. Where they let us like do really structured but super over you know like i could write an epic poem for an assignment so i was able to like yep. make everything super like you had all the accommodations and none of the, the stigma with well i mean we had our own form of not, stigma not with, but not the not, yeah not systemic actually i'll be i'll be really like blunt there i'll say you you don't have the systemic stigma you have the interpersonal stigma yes i hear that oh yeah like kid you're, like, you're a smart kid like you get all that stigma but we're talking about the difference of systemic marginalization versus the individual. Yeah. We had a transitional programming, which was for people thought to be deficient. Yep. However, I read The Hobbit when I was in that transitional programming. So I actually ended up being both given the sort of like uh, learning disability um, title, accommodations and title, mm-hmm. while also being a part of the gifted and talented program. So it was really weird. Did you like school? No. Yeah. And that's what I want to validate for you. Like, 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 like school, school for individuals with ADHD that receive accommodations or are, are seen as behavior problems. Mm-hmm. Typically what, what teachers will always assume is that every intention is to like dysregulate class or that you're a bad kid. You're not seen as like a person that can't sit still. You're seen as a person that won't sit still. You're not seen as a person that like doesn't ask good questions. You're seen as a person that asks too many questions or won't shut up. And it's like we see lots of invalidation. Like this is this really starts happening for kids right around like I'd say like different for girls and boys, right? But like between like nine and twelve, right? Like this is this period of time in everyone's life is like when your parents stop normalizing your life and your peers start normalizing your life. And so kids in school, all of a sudden, like, like I always tell this story about how I got this, like, super ugly, like, Hanukkah sweater one, one year. And it was super ugly. And I remember picking it up and being like, Ugh, and, like, making that kid, like, I don't like this face, right? And I look out at my parents, like, tell me what to do. And I remember my parents were all like, oh, it looks so nice on you. And I remember, it, like, my, my child brain going, like, this is good. And, like, smiling and then, like, liking the sweater, right? And then I wore that sweater all around. I'm eight years old. Like, this is the best. Wear this sweater. And then, like, I'm nine, and I'm walking to school. And I'm like, wear the sweater. And my friend's like, why are you wearing that sweater? I'm like, my grandma gave me the sweater. And they're like, that's an ugly sweater. I'm like, no, my parents, oh, my God, it's ugly. Like, in that moment, I realized, like, my, my friends are now validating my life experience. Like, my parents aren't, right? And so all of a sudden, who can validate what I do in school? Who makes me feel good about it? Do I hang out with the kids that do homework? Do I hang out with the kids that make me feel 
bad for not doing well in school. And we see ADHD kids get pushed into marginalizations where they're expected to succeed, but not well enough. They're not challenged hard enough and they're often seen as behavioral problems. It leads to something I like to call relational trauma, which is really intense. And like, I just wanna say like, whenever I say this to any group, like no matter the size of the group, it feels like this room right now. Because inevitably, hundreds of people are realizing in that moment that, that they've experienced relational trauma. And maybe the reason they don't like school or still have nightmares about school and if we talk about that in a different way, we can see the trauma attached to school when people are like first really cut apart and pulled apart by a system. So like uh, growing up for me, I hated school, but I succeeded in school just fine. Right. I just knew I just knew exactly what hoops to jump through. And I knew I knew how to hit a home run in all the things that school was. Mm-hmm. But it was awful. Yeah. And I don't remember shit because I was never paying attention. <laughs> but you did the homework at night late and got it done or did you not do your homework did you do it in class most of the time i would i mean new mexico education you had very little like homework okay so i mean but that was that was sort of the point i just did the minimal amount of thing to get by or i would wait till the last minute like your story of like wait till the last minute study write the paper mm-hmm. get it in or having a good excuse for the teacher and get some sort of special treatment for like that thing but there was always a thing Right, and then I could just—I got through school just fine. Yeah, you sound like you're describing the person that would like look at the like like what's assigned in the course for that semester, and you're like, oh, I can get away with not doing any homework if I get an 86 on this test and a 74 on this test. Like, is that? Yeah. And then you didn't really worry about it as long as you got those two tests, yeah. but you didn't do homework. No. Yeah. I mean, for the most part, no. No, and the reason why I can—I'm like I'm. Oh, I'm psyched. But the reason why I'm pointing on that is the identification of school wasn't hard, but you didn't like it because school doesn't know how to deal with people that don't do homework. They just see it as personal. So kids end up being really like, typically kids naturally accommodate for ADHD when they don't do homework. They're really late to class because in the beginning of class is typically when the teacher uh, collects the homework or uh, they'll ditch school response costs, right? I don't have my homework. I might as well not go to school. Like Like kids start avoiding the consequences. And then they hang out with all the other kids that avoid the consequences. And that's in situations where, like, the school environment, like, you have a teacher who's like, I'm disappointed in you for not turning in the homework. This is, yeah, this is where we see all those feels being tilled and cultivated for why, when you forget the coupons, you feel like a failure. (laughs) (laughs) You ever gotten cereal and found that there's, like, a prize in the bottom? But but there's, like, five prizes that you have to collect. you got to collect them all. Well... My lecture is being broken up into small prizes that are found at the bottom of cereal boxes. Except instead of a cereal box, it's this podcast. And we will slowly be releasing them. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever had that thought where you think, hey, I'm nothing, stop. Remember, you're something. Something's shiny. That's right. Just as you are. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more free episodes of this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're on Instagram as Something Shiny Podcast. And if you're looking for more information, useful links, definitions, visuals, everything we can think of and more is on our website at somethingshinypodcast.com. And it's all free. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks.